But Tanya, here's the science behind the numbers. People tell me, what is my voice going to count, Brigitte? My elected official needs to hear from 40,000 people before they do anything. Wrong. I have been working with Congress for over 20 years. And I talk to members of Congress all the time. And here's how many people they need to hear from to, to make a, an issue their top priority. And remember, this is the U.S. Congress. We're much bigger than Canada. 40 to 50 people. That's it. People are stunned. You're telling me my senator needs to hear only from 40 to 50 people to take action? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. And here's the science behind the numbers. They believe one email or one phone call represent 1,000 people. If one person writes an email or or makes a phone call, he or she are representing 1,000 couch potatoes who feel the same way, but are too lazy to make a phone call or write an email, yet they vote on election day. That translates to 40 to 50,000 voters on election day. Your voice matters. I'm not sure how that works in Canada, but I can assure you it is very similar to the way it works in the United States. We have a representative government. We elect our representatives to represent us if they do not represent us, that we need to let them know that we're going to kick their tush out next election and we are going to replace them. And if you organize well enough in your community, you could literally choose a person from your own group and run them for office. And if only your group shows up to vote for them, you can get them in. And always remember this. 2% of the passionate will always overrule the 98% indifferent. It doesn't take many to change the world. It only takes an organized minority. Get organized, get mobilized, and let's work together to take back both our countries, Canada and the United States. I'm so pleased to introduce Tanya Gaw, the founder and leader of Action for Canada. For those of you who are new to the Empower Hour, Tanya and the Action for Canada team are on the front lines of educating and empowering Canadians to stand up for our rights and freedoms. Do remember that all of Tanya's updates and previous Empower Hours are available for you to rewatch or to share with your family and friends. And now over to you, Tanya. Hello, my friend. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much. You're such an amazing co-host. I just, I, I love you and adore you. you. You're good at your job and I'm giving you a shout out today. <laughs> um, and with that as well, I want to give all of our production team, you know, a great big thank you. I don't think, um, you know, our viewers realize how much work is uh, going into Action for Canada's productions, the Empower Hour and the sacrificial time that our team, you know, have committed. And for tonight, for anybody that has not, uh, every week for those of you who are just seeing the Empower Hour, we also do a weekly update and I would highly recommend everyone um, to watch the weekly update this week. It will be in the description below because I'm going to give you evidence that Canada is in trouble regarding, uh, you know, the the uh, situation with radical political I- Islam infiltrating this nation and uh, broadly and open openly now uh, showing their true colors on our soil. They're bringing their war to our country. 
and we need to stop this. Uh, the show tonight is pre-recorded, so there will be no Q&A. And uh, because of a lot of information that's going around on the internet, in social media, with people providing their, you know, very strongly held opinions uh, based on what the government is showing them with misinformation uh, as far as the war between Israel and Palestine, which led me to take the time today to write a bit of an opening. And so I'm going to take a few minutes of your time before we get to the actual show. It'll be about five minutes. So I appreciate uh, your patience as we go through this, uh, because I think it's important. Uh, so since since the horrific attack took place in Israel on October 7th, Action for Canada has been focused on educating citizens about the bigger issue at play here, which is the rapidly growing threat of radical political Islam worldwide and how the attack against Israel and the importance of them winning this war is significant to Western civilization. It is imperative that we side with Israel and to acknowledge that Israel has a right to exist as a nation and a right to defend itself and that Hamas must be destroyed. The U.S. is sending in the Navy, and these military measures are necessary to allow Israel to fight without interference from other Islamic nations, such as Iran, who are funding and supporting Hamas and the attack against Israel because they hate the Jews and won't stop until they are annihilated as a race. That is what to the river, to the sea actually means the annihilation of the Jewish community, the Israeli people. This is according to the teachings of Islam's sacred texts, the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sirah. People need to understand that this war is not just about Hamas and the Palestinians, but about who is behind them and what their goal is. Radical Islamists intend to destroy Israel and the West is next. The Middle East was once upon a time 95% Christian and is now less than 6% Christian population. Islam's goal is world domination. The West has already been infiltrated and we must be able and willing to recognize our enemy and call them out for who they are. Palestinian protests in Western nations are reported to be an arm of Hamas. They are flaunting their presence in Western nations worldwide and threatening and bullying anyone who opposes them. Thankfully, we are seeing some governments, such as in Germany, shutting them down and also reevaluating their allowable Im immigration numbers and policies. We need to talk to our youth about what is going on, especially university students, because they are quick to jump onto a cause even when it is founded on misinformation and they don't have a clue that they are aiding and abetting the enemy. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. We cannot and must not blindly lock arms with our enemy, naively thinking we are supporting a good cause or that we will have a different result in Canada. Everyone has a responsibility to do their research and a quick look at Sweden, London and the UK is a clear warning to the rest of us of what is to come if we don't act. If all of in all of this, 
We are not saying that Netanyahu is a saint, but there are two separate issues going on and we need to be able to differentiate between them. Many Israelis want him out of office, but it would be the end of Israel if they were to go through that process right now. They must stay united and complete the task at hand. And once Hamas is destroyed, then they can take care of other business. To put some of this in further perspective, I know that as a white Christian woman, I would be safe and welcome in Israel. However, I cannot say the same if I were to step outside of their borders. I believe I would not last two seconds in so-called Palestine. I would not be permitted to run for office in any of the 56 Islamic nations. There are 130 million Christians worldwide being persecuted and discriminated against, the majority of which is in the Middle East. Another group that would not survive are homosexuals. Another concerning fact is that radical Islam instructs Islams to lie if it assists them in subjugating and taking over a nation. Political entryism is another means by which they are infiltrating Western nations and incrementally taking over our miserable house from within, as the Muslim Brotherhood put it. If this is of a concern to you, then you need to invest in the election process at all levels of government, either by running for office or supporting a candidate that fully embraces our foundation as a nation built on biblical Christian values. In order for Canada to remain a beacon of hope for those who are fleeing death and persecution at the hands of radical Islam, we must be willing not only to face this clear and present danger, but to also expose it and eradicate it. The matter of mass immigration and taking in refugees from violent third world nations without properly vetting them must become an election issue. Contact your MP and demand the Canadian government put a moratorium on immigration. Sign Action for Canada's petition every time it is signed and email is sent to Trudeau and the Minister of Education. It will be available in the description. Also, request that your MP immediately take steps to demand the government shut down the Palestinian marches in our streets as they are supporting terrorism and the massacre of innocent unarmed civilians, including children and infants. God, keep our land glorious and free and grant us great wisdom and favor in fighting this battle. Bridget Gabriel is our special guest tonight. And there is no person more qualified to expose the threat of radical Islam than her. Bridget survived the violent and brutal takeover of her birthplace, Lebanon, which was once a Christian nation. Bridget has spent her life revealing the people, organizations, and forces at work to dismantle our Judeo-Christian values and freedoms destabilize and threaten our national security and radically redefine our way of life. Heather, would you please introduce our guest? I am so pleased to introduce our special guest this evening. Bridget Gabrielle is a U.S. national security analyst, a New York Times bestselling author, and the founder and chair of Act for America, a grassroots 
national security organization that promotes Western values in the United States. She is one of the world's leading terrorism experts, and she lectures nationally and internationally about terrorism and current affairs. She's had the privilege of addressing the United Nations, members of the U.S. Congress, the Pentagon, the Joint Forces Staff College, the U.S. Special Operations Command, the FBI, and more. As well, she's a regular guest analyst on Fox News Channel, CNN, MSNBC, and radio stations all across America. Because of her life experiences and her expertise, Bridget is able to provide evidence that the West is under attack. Now, because of Bridget's busy schedule, this session of the Empower Hour was pre-recorded, so I invite you to sit back and get comfy as we join Tanya and Bridget Gabrielle. Well, thank you, Heather, so much. Uh, Bridget, it is just an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Valerie Price, for connecting us. I have followed you for many years and really uh, respect the work that you have been doing in the United States to bring awareness, uh, not only to Islam, but any types of threats uh, to the sovereignty and the foundation of your great nation. Um, Action for Canada is, is doing some, something very similar similar uh, as well. We love our country. We're willing to fight for it. But a lot of that comes down to knowledge. And the Bible says, for lack of knowledge, people perish. And so I just want to thank you for coming on the show. And um, yeah, just hand it over to you for a moment. I, thank you, Tanya. I'm delighted to be with you. I heard wonderful things about you from Valerie. And yes, you are connected in high places. That's how we were able to do this interview so fast. Um, but look, you know, people like you and me and Valerie are driven to make a difference. Uh, we are realizing that our countries are being transformed before our very eyes. Canada and America are not the same. I mean, I immigrated to the United States in 1989, and I am shocked to see how far America has gone and changed. It's almost unrecognizable in so many areas. The difference between the country that I immigrated to in 1989 and where I sit today watching what's happening in our country. And the same thing in Canada. So what's happening right now is, uh, is thankfully, we are seeing a lot of voices worldwide, whether on our side of the water, you know, Canada, the United States, or whether in Europe. I mean, look at the election of Geert Wilder. Thank God. Uh, and then Netherlands. Uh, but we are seeing more people standing up and speaking out and saying enough is enough. We, we have got to speak the truth. Otherwise, we're going to lose our countries and we've got to mobilize citizen into action because let's face it, this show is entertainment. If people watch this show without taking action on the items we are going to be discussing, they might as well be watching Dancing with the Stars because unless you take action, nothing changes. Education is important, but education by itself is not sufficient. Education must be coupled with action. So with that, I'm going to set up uh, uh, moving forward for the rest of the interview, because you and I are all about action, Tanya. Whatever we're going to be discussing, there is action on your website and there is action on my website so people can take action and make a difference. 
Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Bridget. It is essential. Um, I've said many times, you know, when I started back in 2015, I had 12 people on my email list. And, you know, you may have 12 people, the viewers may have 12 people on their email list thinking, what difference can I make? Well, Bridget and I are an example of just taking that first step to reach out to those 12 people. It may be that five respond, but that five can build to 25. And from there on, you could help change a nation. And our nations are under siege. This is an invasion. Make no mistake, what they are doing is intentional. This is attack against our sovereignty. This is attack against Western nations because Western nations are built on biblical Christian principles. And those are the only nations where democracy exists. And so, Bridget, there is nobody in my mind better qualified to talk about to talk about Islam, the dangers of Islam, the threat what we're facing as a nation, and what we need to do. So could you provide our viewers uh, a little bit of your background as a child, how you yourself have lived through the attacks of these terrorists, uh, how Islam has no desire to negotiate, to live with anyone that is outside of their political belief system. I know people call this a religion, but I'll refer to it as a political system. And just explain a little bit of your history, please. I thank you. And I just want to clarify something. When I speak, I speak about radical Islamic terrorism. We are not speaking about all Muslims. There are plenty of Muslims in the United States and in Canada who are Muslims, black people, who can't even read a word in Arabic. They have never read the Quran and they will never read the Quran. They are not going out and killing people. So there are a lot of people who, uh, who convert to Islam just because they like the structure that it gives them. So these are not the people we are talking about. We are talking about radical Islamic terrorists who use Islamic Quranic verses from the Quran in order to kill others. And as you mentioned, Islam is a political ideology cloaked in religion. So while many Muslims throughout the world do not want to kill people, they are just minding their own business. We are talking about the radicals who kill, who create war. We're talking about the people who apply the principles of war written in the Quran against innocent people, no matter where they are in the world, whether they are the Christians in Nigeria, when Boko Haram uh, kidnaps 300 girls and rapes them and slaughters them and God knows what they did to them, um, whether ISIS doing what they did to the Yazidis, uh, whether Hamas doing the Palestinians doing what they did to the Jews, that's unacceptable. So that's what I'm talking about. And I'm very passionate, Tanya, as you can see, talking about radical Islamic terrorism because Islamic terrorism affected my life. Ironically, it was radical Islamic terrorists who blew up my home in 1975 in Lebanon as they were trying to take over our town uh, uh, to start fighting Israel. You see, I was born and raised in Lebanon, which used to be the only majority Christian country in the Middle East. We were open-minded. We were fair. We were tolerant. We were multicultural. We prided ourselves on our multiculturalism. We had open borders. We welcomed everyone into our country because we wanted to share with them the westernization, which we had created in the heart of the Middle East. Um, Beirut became known as Paris of the Middle East, the banking capital of the Middle East. Um, unfortunately, we took in people that did not share our values. And it's amazing that we're having this conversation right now because that relates directly to what impacted my life 
you know, during the, we're watching the Israel-Hamas war right now taking place in Gaza, what tipped the scale in Lebanon was the importing of Palestinian refugees after King Hussein of Jordan kicked them out when they tried to overthrow him um, and started fighting him in the streets. He bulldozed 30,000 of them, and Lebanon was the only country to accept a third wave of Palestinian refugees, even when their own brethren Muslim countries did not want to take them. Same thing as it's happening today. There's a reason why they don't want to take them. They came to Lebanon and they created mayhem. And while they were trying to attack Israel from Lebanon and wanted to use army bases in Lebanon, like the army base above my home, trying to take over that army base, they bombarded my home. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months and later ended up living in a bomb shelter underground without electricity, without water, and very little food. And that's where I lived for the next seven years of my life, robbed of my youth. Right. That was from the age of 10 to 17. And I really want to encourage people, if you're just watching this video for the first time after the interview, go to the description because uh, we will provide links to the pages that we've uh, prepared as Action for Canada does when when we have a guest on. In there, you will see, uh, you will have access to videos. You can view uh, Bridget's History, she goes through detail of the struggles and how she came out of that situation uh, to eventually move to Israel and then to eventually, eventually move to the United States. So you became a, a broadcaster. You were on a news station in uh, Israel, which was sort of these, it's amazing the way that God can lead you when you, he knew within you, he, he, he rescued you from the rubble because I understand that you were buried in rubble uh, when your house was hit and that they rescued from that situation, but God had a greater plan for your life, Bridget. And when I was listening to your testimony, there were at times I was brought to tears to think that we in the West have been so blessed and privileged to live in a country that we were born into freedom. But as you experienced, freedom is just one small step away. Uh, from falling into tyranny if we don't take the necessary actions and steps to protect it. We've always got to be vigilant. So can you tell me, once you you arrived to the United States, how did it come about that you formed Act for America? Well, you know, I, I went to Israel and I worked in Israel as news anchor for World News. And I did that from 1984 to 1989. That's when I met an American worker respondent fell in love, got married, and that's how I ended up in America, through marriage. And I thought I left all the crazies behind. You know, I started a TV production and advertising agency. My clients were Oprah, Dr. Phil, ABC, NBC, CBS. I was truly living the American dream. I was working six months out of the year in the entertainment industry, enjoying all the perks of the, inter- of the entertainment industry and playing the other six months with my children. You know, well, you know, in the summertime when they were out of school, I stayed home and I just enjoyed the American dream until 9-11-2001. That's when I realized that Um, you know, my world changed. I realized that the crazies I left behind have come to America. And, you know, on 9-11, 9-11 was a defining moment for the United States. On 9-11, actually anywhere in the world, we all did the same thing. 
if you were anywhere near a television uh, screen, you parked yourself in front of that TV, you could not get enough news. You could not believe that people will hijack airliners and use them as human missiles, flying them into skyscrapers with the intention of killing tens of thousands of people. You know, if, if, if the planes had hit the World Trade Center 15 minutes later, you know, 55,000 people worked in the World Trade Center. If the planes would have hit at 9 a.m. instead of 8.45, we would, they would have killed tens of thousands of people. And so on 9-11, I did like what everybody else did. I was looking at the television screen. I couldn't believe my eyes. How can people hate us so much? I felt frustrated. I felt helpless. I felt, you know, anger. You felt pain. There were a range of emotions going through you watching the images of the World Trade Center. And I let, you know, my kids came home from school that day and they did not know what happened because they did not tell the children in school what had happened that day. And my daughters came in and watched me watching the images of the World Trade Center tumble again and again and again being played on national television. And my youngest daughter, who was around my age when I was wounded in a hospital in mm. Lebanon, said to me, Mommy, why did they do this to us? And I found myself, Tanya, looking into my daughter's eyes and repeating to her the exact same words my father said to me when I asked him the same question, why did they do this to us? And my father told me they hate us because they consider us infidels and they want to kill us. So here we were, two generations apart. I was a young Lebanese girl. She's a young American girl. I spoke Arabic. She spoke English. 30 years apart, 8,000 miles apart, two continents apart, you know. And I found myself repeating to my daughter the same answer my father gave to me. That day was my defining moment. That day I vowed that I will do everything I can to make sure that my daughter will never ever have to look into her child's eyes and repeat to him or to her what my daddy said to me and what I had to say to her. That day, I was reborn as an activist. I laid on my couch, praying. You know, September 11th happened on a Tuesday morning. And from Tuesday until Sunday, I laid on my couch in my family room watching television, in my pajamas, unable to function, thinking, what can I do to make a difference? You see, Tanya, I'm a firm believer that no matter what we go through in life, all our trials and tribulation, everything happens for a reason. All these challenges we go through in life are nothing more than preparation. So when we meet our destiny, when we find our purpose, we can move forward to fulfill our purpose. I believe every person has a purpose. But you watching us right now, whoever you are watching us right now, you didn't happen to watch this program by accident. You were here by, by, for a purpose. And so I decided I'm going to start an organization and I'm going to educate millions of people about the threat of radical Islam to world peace and our national security. And I started educating and I started traveling and I started speaking to groups as small as eight people meeting at Frankie's ribs and Pungo, Virginia, you know, <laughs> speaking to them about the situation and then speaking to mega churches where they have 10,000 people in the sanctuary. And one question kept popping up. Now that I'm informed, what can I do? Give me something to do. And that's when I learned education is important, but education by itself is not sufficient. 
education must be coupled with action. We're not lacking information today. Today, you go on the internet, you go on Google, you type in terrorism, you got 60,000 pages. You type in socialism, you got 50,000 pages. We are not lacking information. We have never ever in history have had access to information the way we do today. What we are lacking is what we can do with the information so we can make a difference. And that's when I launched my lobbying arm, Act for America in 2007, because I not only wanted to educate people, but I wanted to mobilize people to make an impact, political impact. And I'm proud to tell you, Tanya, that right now, 21 years later, I've been doing this for 21 years, Act for America has helped pass 210 bills on the federal level and the state level. Uh, We have activists in 98% of U.S. counties nationwide. We have over 2 million members, and we are impacting policy one bill, one person at a time. That if people aren't feeling motivated right now, <laughs> Bridget and uh, Trenzio, can we just share my screen for a moment? Because for uh, Canadians who uh, we are, majority of our members are Canadians and we encourage so many others uh, to join us. But this is what Action for Canada looks like nationwide. There's 110 chapters. And within each community, this is exactly if you're saying, wow, you know, the United States is just killing it down there. And, uh, you know, Bridget is is the best example I could possibly imagine of what it is to put your action in motion. And that we talk about the silent majority, but the silent majority no no more. Our organizations are working to give you a voice. We're providing resources. We're providing actual printed materials, notices of liability, anything and everything that you need to go to your elected officials. Because we plan on taking back all levels of government. And you can only do that. We can't do that on on our own. We can't do that while you sit on your uh, sofa and say, well done, pat us on the back and good for you. We need boots on the ground. Okay, thanks, Terenzio, for that. And uh, Bridget, I just love it. I, I love your energy. I love that what you're putting into this. And in the action that I, uh, yeah, go ahead. If I can add one thing to that, and I commend Absolutely. you for what you are doing in Canada, um, because People think, what is my voice going to count? Why should I call my elected official? Why should I write a letter? I can give you the science behind the numbers from our end in the United States. I'm not sure how it works in Canada, but let me give you an example of how it works in the United States. And by the way, I know a lot of you Canadians who are watching us right now have dual citizenship. A lot of you come to the United States, uh, uh, have residences in the United States. So if you are one of those people or have relatives in America, you make sure you tell them and send them to actforamerica.org, A-C-T-F-O-R, America.org, and ask them to sign up to receive our emails and action alert and take action on the uh, many action items we have. But Tanya, here's the science behind the numbers. People tell me, what is my voice going to count, Brigitte? My elected official needs to hear from 40,000 people before they do anything. Wrong. I have been working with Congress for over 20 years. And I talk to members of Congress all the time. And here's how many people they need to hear from to to make an issue their top priority. And remember, this is the U.S. Congress. We're much bigger than Canada. 40 to 50 people. That's it. People are stunned. 
You're telling me my senator needs to hear only from 40 to 50 people to take action? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. And here's the science behind the numbers. They believe one email or one phone call represents 1,000 people. If one person writes an email or uh, or makes a phone call, he or she are representing 1,000 couch potatoes who feel the same way but are too lazy to make a phone call or write an email yet they vote on election day. That translates to 40 to 50,000 voters on election day. Your voice matters. I'm not sure how that works in Canada, but I can assure you it is very similar to the way it works in the United States. We have a representative government. We elect our representatives to represent us. If they do not represent us, that we need to let them know that we're going to kick their tush out next election and we are going to replace them. And if you organize well enough in your community, you could literally choose a person from your own group and run them for office. And if only your group shows up to vote for them, you can get them in. And always remember this, 2% of the passionate will always overrule the 98% indifferent. It doesn't take many to change the world. It only takes an organized minority. Get organized, get mobilized, and let's work together to take back both our countries, Canada and the United States. Yes, amen to that. Like I said, I'm motivated. We're fired up. I hope that uh, our viewers are. And uh, Bridget, you're 100% right. We are having the same gains in Canada. Although the United States is further ahead of us on things like the radical trans uh, activists, 26 states in the U.S. have been overturning uh, policy and passing legislation against uh, you know the sexualization of our kids in the school, the mutil- mutilization of their little bodies, uh, uh, medical transitioning uh, against drag queens, and in the in Canada, we're finally getting breakthrough. And Action for Canada did huge campaigns in Saskatchewan because they were going to bring in the SOGI one two three training, got Planned Parenthood banned as well as SOGI one two three. In British Columbia, there was a small handful on our team, and during COVID, uh, it was uh, an action, a campaign we had against the uh, school boards were mandated by the government to vote whether or not the school staff and uh, teachers should be jabbed. And we served every single school board trustee a notice of liability. We put them on warning. We did additional letters. It was a very small team. And we managed to maintain that every single school staff and teacher maintained their jobs. Nobody was put on unpaid leave. And as those school boards began to vote, they all voted no. 30 out of 60 voted no. And before you know it, after those six months campaign, it was over. And they ended the mandate for the jab. So Bridget is 100% right. Action for Canada and Act for America are making it so easy for you to get involved in your community. Go to the Action for Canada page, look up the chapters under join, and then uh, there's a long list of chapters within every single province. If there's not one, consider becoming, uh, you know, a leader. And so um, I would, you know, you said for people in America, for Canadians who have friends in America to sign up with Act for America. But I would encourage Canadians as well, because uh, you provide 
information. Some of it is uh, uh, groundbreaking over what we're seeing here. And with that in mind, Bridget, what I'd like to do is I'd like to shift the conversation over, you you know, we talked about 9-11 and how that motivated you. I can only imagine, you know, how you felt as the rest of the world looked in horror to what happened in Israel to all of these innocent, unarmed uh, citizens, including children and infants. And, uh, you know, then what has resulted from that, I actually thank God for it. There's the one good thing that has come out of it is that it has exposed the infiltration within our own Western nations throughout Europe, the UK, America, and Canada, as we see the Palestinians marching in the streets uh, in support of terrorism. And so uh, let's go back to that event and then let's go through a few questions because the kids in, in our universities are showing up in support of Palestine. Canadians, Americans are showing up in support of Palestine. If you go on social media, there's huge debates and actually hatred being spread because of misinformation. And I think that's important, but I think one of the reasons why there is so much support uh, at this point, how things have flipped for the Palestinians, is that they were unaware, completely unaware of the battle against radical Islam and the extremism and how it has already infiltrated our nations and how they're coming for us, not just for Israel, but the the rest of the world. They want to conquer They want to subjugate. And so can we talk about, um, first of all, let me know your feelings. How were you feeling when that took place? Uh, What was the response within yourself? Well, the first reaction was stunned at the lack of intelligence. How can something like this happen in Israel? Uh, That was the first thought that came to my mind. Uh, Not what Hamas did, the atrocities that they did. I expected that out of Hamas. Anybody who's been following Islamic terrorism, it doesn't matter what name they operate under, whether it's Al-Qaeda, whether it's ISIS, whether it's Boko Haram, whether it's Islamic Jihad, whether it's Hezbollah, we know what they do to their enemy. I mean, they have hatred, like barbarism to such level that we can even describe. I think ISIS perfected uh, promoting that to the media worldwide. Um, However, uh, so we expected that out of Hamas. But I think it was a wake-up call for the Jewish community, especially the leftist Jewish communities uh, in Canada and the United States and worldwide, who usually 80% tend to side with the left. To give you an example, like in America, siding with Black Lives Matter. Um, All of a sudden, the day after the massacre, Black Lives Matter puts a logo, an image on their Facebook of the paraglider, Hamas paraglider, paragliding into Israel. So I think the Jewish community who thought that here we are standing for all the diversity, equity, and inclusion, all of that stuff, realized that the people we were standing with and thought they will stand with us stand against us. I mean, look at today, the, the, even the talk of the rape and murder of Israeli women. UN women do not want to talk about it. Stars in Hollywood do not want to talk about it. Nobody is that. Where's the now organization in the United States or in Canada, all the women's organization standing and speaking about the rape and torture that happened to the Israelis on that day uh, inside Israel? Nobody wants to talk about it. So the reaction um, watching the anti-Semitism on the streets of Canada, Australia, Germany, Paris, London, United States, New York uh, is, is a shocking 
a, a, a view for us who knew anti-Semitism was on the rise. But to actually see those images, it's as if we are living in pre-Hitler Germany. It's as if we are living in 1948 right now, uh, watching these images. And that's very scary. And my heart goes out to my Jewish friends who are worried about their children and their grandchildren, uh, not only their own lives. Uh, I had a friend say to me, he says, you know what? I'm going to die God knows when, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but 30 years from now, but what about my children and my grandchildren? What type of world are they going to live in? And and I feel sorry for them. It's a horrifying thought. Well, and I think, um, you know, when I'm thinking about uh, the state of the world and because of COVID, like these issues were pre-COVID. The, the concern of uh, is Islamic infiltration into Western nations, I mean, that was something that's already been growing. And as you right. had said earlier, it is the minority that are the ones that are able to bring the greatest amount of change if they have the will. And, and so with the trans community, they were lobbying government, not only in Canada, but America and the UN. I mean, I don't think those people slept to get to where they are and have infiltrated our schools and have these programs in the schools that are horrifying, you know, citizens around the world. And now we're fighting back against that. But uh, the, the, as some would call it, creeping Sharia has been incrementally coming into our nations. And while people would be, um, it's, it's been a major military psychological warfare uh, that citizens in Western nations have undergone for decades. And it has been a matter of conditioning in us that we are multicultural nations. And it's like then we were secular nations. And then we are in Canada, a post-national state with no core identity. One of the first things Trudeau foolishly said, and anybody who uh, believed him was foolish because you can't have a country where you don't have a set of core identities. And so he's placing it with globalism and communism. So we have this battle on our hands where we've been conditioned to tolerate everything. And, and then it's like that boiling frog. It's now we're at that boiling point where it's going to be this explosion of opposition. And, and if Canadians and Americans don't understand the threat that we are under by the creeping Sharia in our countries, then we will be lost. And this is important to make this an election issue. You must go to your government officials and tell them, look, Canada is founded on Judeo-Christian biblical principles. And we have a little something called the coronation oath that King Charles just signed. So it stands saying that Canada should be, must be governed by biblical Protestant principles. That's a pretty powerful thing. So then you measure that when Daniel Smith just uh, in Alberta, uh, just before the election to gain votes from the uh, Muslims, had implemented Sharia banking. This is the implement of Sharia. Can you explain to our viewers what Sharia means? The, what, how it, let's put it this way, how Sharia is a threat to Western nations. Well, look, the, the problem is our people in the West do not understand what we are dealing with. There are people today who still refer to a mosque. Oh, that's the Muslim church. It's very different than a church. A Muslim can be used as a war command center. Uh, yeah, you know, Christians, no priest, no pastor, nobody will approve of a church being used as a war command center. But under Islam, a mosque can be used for that. 
And look at the mosques that were in America under surveillance because they were hiding weapons. Why would you need to hide weapons in a mosque? We don't need to hide weapons in churches anywhere in the world because we don't look at our, our churches as a command and network center for war, as a part of a war strategy. And I think with Sharia law, people don't realize how incompatible it is with Western values. Look, in the West, we have value. A woman's value is equal to that of a man. I mean, how many years women have fought in the West to have the right to vote, to have the right for choice, to have the right to work, to have the right for a divorce, to have the right to be and make decisions about her own life, about her own marriage. Women in the West have fought for so long to have their right. Under Sharia law, a woman is the property of a man. A father can sell her to her future husband for a price, for a dowry. A woman has no say-so in whom she can marry and not marry. Look at honor killing under Islam. I mean, you experienced honor killing in Canada. I mean, look at the few cases in Canada of honor killing. Yet the Canadians were afraid to even stand up and criticize lest they be accused of being Islamophobes. That's mm -hmm. the problem in our country. One, we do not understand what we are dealing with. And two, we are afraid to speak up because nobody wants to be called a racist. Nobody wants to be called a bigot. Nobody wants to be called an Islamophobe because we, by nature, are not racist, are not Islamophobes. We love all people. We pray for all people. You know, in the Bible, the Bible says, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. We pray for our enemies. We forgive them for the sins they have committed against us. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner because we understand that Jesus died on the cross for their sins as much as he died for our sins. So somebody who adheres to Christianity, who comes from that way of thinking, does not hate anybody, does not want to inflict pain or suffering on anybody. So when we criticize or we, when we speak up about we do not want Sharia law coming to our nations. We are speaking up for the protection of women. We are speaking up for the protection of gays. We may not agree with a gay lifestyle. I know a lot of people don't or the, that lives life of transgenders. But no Christian would approve of the killing of throwing of a gay man from the top of a building and watch him splat on the floor. No Christian in any civilized nation would stand for that. We will be the first people to, to, to condemn such murder. And that's the difference. And I think because of the lack of understanding of people, our population in the West, the Islamists take advantage of that and they use the word Islamophobe to silence those who are speaking up. And look, you, me, our friend Valerie that we talked about, a lot of the people that we work with are all considered Islamophobes simply because they have been warning about these issues and the ramification of mass immigration and migration bringing people into our countries who do not share our values. And, and this is such an important point here, Tanya, because in the old days, when people asked permission to come to Canada or to the United States, they came in much smaller numbers and they were able to assimilate. There were programs in place where you can actually help them assimilate. Today, we are doing people a disservice by bringing them in large numbers where there's no way they can assimilate into our societies. And that's where we are seeing the problem. Yeah, they're building nations within our nation. 
Um, I live in uh, Surrey, British Columbia, and it has a huge Sikh population. And if I go to the bank, if I go to the grocery store, and I'm not exaggerating, I literally can't understand what's being spoken against, uh, you know, around me uh, because they speak in their mother tongue. Uh, my mom came from the Netherlands, my grandmother, her four brothers, and when they, they were already learning some English, and when they came to Canada, they were committed that, that when they were in public that they would not speak uh, Dutch. And I said, Mom, why is that? And she said, because we were so grateful to be in Canada, and she said we had so much respect for Canadians. And so they learned the language, uh, they assimilated, they integrated, they never received, received a dime from the government. They worked hard as a family, uh, you know, to create the success that they had. My dad was from England and had a grade six education, put himself through school, became an electrician, became an electrical contractor and had his own company one day. That's not white privilege. And I always say, you know, about all of this Islamophobia and the racists and the hate, that's to shut us down while this grand global master plan is to have our country infiltrated, divide us, pit one another against each other. But, you know, as a person of faith, Christianity, my God doesn't know the color of your skin. So they're a bit stumped there because Christians come in all shapes and sizes and colors. And, and so because that's not what this is about. This is a culture war. This is a global war. This is to destroy our societies as we've known it. And we need to boldly stand up and demand a moratorium on immigration. We have a petition that people can sign. It will be in the uh, description. Um, I'm going to emphasize again, Bridget has said that you must contact your MPs. We know that many are actually a part of this problem. They're invested in it. This, they, they're part of the plan. And so we need to get them removed from government. In last year's elections, several provinces had uh, municipal elections and Action for Canada had numerous chapter leaders and members get elected as school board trustees. We can do this, but we need to be organized and collaborate. These are large countries. It's not like we're living in France or the Netherlands, right? This is a large country to cover, as is America. And that's, again, Bridget, why I have so much respect for what you're doing in bringing millions of Americans together uh, to take back their country. Because war has been commenced against us in all different forms. Uh, yes, it has. And look, I didn't teach my daughters Arabic. I didn't speak a word of Arabic with my children because I wanted them to be Americans. They needed to be Americans. I couldn't wait to be 100% American. I couldn't wait to get my citizenship. I worked so hard. I started to become an American. I studied American history. I had to take an exam, a verbal exam, as well as a written exam in English and pass about America's history, the Constitution, our judicial process, etc. These are the type of immigrants like me, where they are easily, uh, where they can assimilate because they speak the language. We are not putting that effort right now into helping other people assimilate. And by the way, you mentioned the Sikhs. Do you know that the Sikh community was the only community worldwide ever to defeat Islam, to win against Islam because of what Islam did to the Sikh community? I think the world can learn a thing or two from the Sikhs about how to fight the radical Islamic problem. Um, but yeah. again, when we talk about uh, our nations, the problem is people in our country do not understand uh, much about the rest of the world. Look, the, the North America is so isolated from the rest of the world. And so we don't understand international geography. We do not understand like the rest of the world. People cannot tell the difference between an Indian and a, a Sikh and a Muslim. 
People cannot, you know, and there's a huge difference. I mean, these are two are diehard enemies. People cannot tell the difference between a Christian Lebanese or a Coptic Christian uh, from Egypt and a Muslim. I mean, look at the cops, how they are being persecuted. I think the West is starting to learn a little bit about the differences. But again, we need to make sure we look, I'm all for immigration, legal immigration. Your parents came to this country as legal immigrants to your country. I came to America as a legal immigrant. We believe in legal immigration. You always need new blood. New blood brings new ideas, brings creativity, brings new passion, brings growth for a nation. We need that. But we need to do it in moderation where we can assimilate people, empower them, help them build businesses, become a part of the fabric of our country, of our society, of our values. Look, they left countries that they do not agree with because of the corruption and came to our countries because they loved what our countries represented. Right now, we have imported so many foreigners that they are trying to change the laws in our country to make it like theirs, the countries that they left. And that's where we have a problem. Well, they're, tr- they're literally transplanting here what they left there. Um, you exactly. know, the Sikhs are vying for position, the Khalistani Sikhs. We have corruption here, terrorists, uh, Sikhs in our nation, uh, the Hindus as well, as well, as well. I say the biggest problem, I would say, is the infiltration, uh, you know, of the Islamic uh, community. And history has taught us that really Islam and the West have never been able to coexist. It's just a no. fact. And if we look at it, uh, 360 million Christians live in nations with high levels of persecution or discrimination, and the threat is rapidly uh, spreading into the West. And when we look at that common thread, it is it is radical Islam. And and so I would I put out a, a call last week. Uh, Majed was on the show, and I said, you know what? There's 56 Islamic majority countries. If you can't find what you're looking for there, then you need to you need to separate yourself from that political system completely, yeah. completely integrate, completely assimilate. And and you know what? If if these Palestinians aren't happy here, they obviously support uh, radical terrorists. They should all be returned to to the country that they're fighting for, and we'll take your Christians from the Middle East. We'll take all of your Christians. We'll switch you, you know, for the Islamists who are who are unwilling to uh, give up their uh, belief system that is destroying their own societies. And and I I gotta say you mentioned Kurt Wilders in 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 um, the Netherlands he's got like thirty six fatwas against his life as he has spoke out in defense of the Netherlands and their sovereignty he is committed to shutting down the mosques and banning niqabs and the reason is or the hijab sorry the reason is is because. Um, the mosques, as you mentioned, are terrorists, many of them. In Canada, every single one I've heard is under surveillance because they're terrorist cells. And and that terrorism is connected to organizations like Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood who have infiltrated our universities and other organizations that our countries are allowing uh, to be actively, uh, you know, functioning in our nations. Uh, what, do you, what do you have to say about that? What are the steps that our nation right now today, if we had a right government in place regarding the issue of radical Islam, what do you believe the first steps that they should take? 
Well, I think the first steps we need to do is put the right elected official in place. And in order for us to do that, our people need to go out and vote and become engaged politically. And there's a lot of things that happen between voting days. You know, uh, like in America, voting happens every two years. A lot of things happen in between the two years. You need to be involved in a political movement like Action for Canada like Acts for America in the United States. There's a lot of things that happen in between voting because you've got to make sure to elect the right people in place. That's the first step. We can talk and we can listen to talk radio and we can watch podcasts like this podcast right now. Unless you become engaged, the right elected officials are not going to be in place. And what I'm going to answer is going to be a total waste of my time and your time because you're never going to see the right people uh, get elected into positions. So the first thing you need to do is become engaged, not just a, a, a an observer of information and a collector of information, but actually engaged as an activist. And you can be a keyboard activist. I know Action for Canada sends out great email, great information, great action alerts. You need to take action. The same thing right here in the United States. But if we have the right elected officials in place, we need to expel from our countries every person that we can identify who participated in demonstrations, pro-Hamas demonstrations in the United States and Canada. That by itself will rid our country from wannabe terrorists who, if they, if they are willing to stand and march in support of a terrorist organization that's located 8,000 miles away, Rest assured, they will have no compunction committing terrorist attacks right here in our own country. So the first order of business, when we are able to change our government, expel every person you can identify in these demonstrations back to their country of origin, because if they are standing out in public in support of a terrorist organization, we know that they are terrorist sympathizers. Their action told us exactly where they stand. Second, every student on a foreign visa who is studying in our universities need to be expelled immediately if they participated in these demonstrations. We have enough 100%. problem with our youth in this country. We do not need to be dealing with foreign students studying in our universities, bringing with them their hatred, their radical ideology against the Jews. We're not going to stand for the anti-Semitism rising worldwide. And each one of us in every nation in the West has the responsibility to stand up and condemn anti-Semitism in whatever form it takes. So there are many steps that need to be taken, but we need to start by putting the right uh, elected officials in place. Nothing is going to change unless you have the right elected officials in place. You need to take back your freedom. And in order for you to take back your freedom and not be subjected to what Trudeau subjected you to during COVID, uh, now transforming Canada uh, and leaders transforming the United States, I can say that in the same breath, now is the time to be engaged and be active. Right. Thank you, uh, uh, Bridget, because I'm 100% in agreement that these people need to be immediately removed from our, na from our nation. They should be round up and, and shipped out. Um, again, uh, citizens do not understand in the West the violence and hate that have been ingrained into specifically the Palestinians from the youngest age in the Quran, uh, uh, the Sirah, the Hadith, it, it is teaching to kill the Jews. It's teaching to hate them. They describe them as monkeys. And, uh, you know, in, an, in, and in order to dehumanize them, which makes it easier to kill them. This, I, I put a video to, uh, in the uh, weekly email that showed in kindergarten, this is what 
They are teaching their children. They are proud to have their sons go off and kill Jews. And uh, they celebrate that as as uh you know a race this is not about the color of anybody's skin this is not a race race the, the race war this is a cultural war this is a war of ideas of ideologies and we need to uh be able to speak about these things out loud now something that you've just said and we're going to revert back to uh, i think something that's very in, important to address we talk about anti-semitism we see the palestinians rising in support calling to the river, to the sea, you know, to annihilate. That means to annihilate the Jewish people, annihilate them, that they don't even exist. They have one state in all of the world. It's called Israel. And God gave them that state. It was long before 70 plus years ago. This has been from the beginning of time and Abraham that God gave the Israel's uh, Jewish people, Israel, that is God's land. 95% of the Middle East used to be Christian, and now it's less than 6%. People don't know these details. They don't understand how Islam is coming in. They want world dominance, and now they are infiltrating into the West. The Palestinians are part of the Hamas, an extension, an arm of Hamas's attack against the Western world and against the Jews. And they want people to sympathize with the Palestinians and to demonize Netanyahu and uh, Israel for taking the necessary steps to, a uh, to attack. Now, what these Palestinians are on the streets, and Majed said it last week, where were they over the years when, uh, you know, the uh, Islamists have been attacking uh, their own people and killing Palestinians? Why is it that Hamas had no bomb shelters, no safe places for Palestinians to go? Why are they using their own people as human shields? Why is it that they celebrate uh, and raise their sons to go and uh, commit these heinous crimes? And why is it they will not allow the Palestinians to leave when Israel is giving warnings? Why? There's so many questions we need to put into balance. We are not in a war. We are not warring with somebody who respects the rules of war. All right. This is barbaric. This is demonic. This is an evil that the West has never experienced in our homelands other than 9-11. We've had a taste of what radical Islam is. So why are you siding with the Palestinians? But with the anti-Semitism, this is why it's growing, because now people are turning a hatred towards Israel. They say Netanyahu is involved, that he created Hamas, that the border should never have been the safest border in the whole uh, you know, of the world had been infiltrated. A bug wouldn't be able to cross. And you know what? I agree with that. I want to know the answers and the details to those questions. But when I was talking to Christine uh, Douglas Williams the other day, we had a two hour um, conversation. Uh, she's highly involved in uh in, in this uh, specialized area of um, intelligence. And there were things that people uh, have not been informed of what was happening in Israel. Netanyahu ran on a commitment to, uh, to uh, what was the proper word for it, to reform the judiciary. Because like Canada, we have judges who are no longer supporting our constitution, our charter. They're working for Justin Trudeau. Right. We don't have a proper rule of law in Canada at this point. Uh, there are some good judges and we, we're praying and, and calling for more ju good, good judges to remember their oath. So on that, it had caused incredible split and divide. 
And I understand that Turkey and others were fueling this division within. So it had uh, it had divided their military. And so they didn't have, uh, you know, the military force and strength to uh, to secure both borders. There's details here that the world is not hearing from mainstream media. Do you have anything else that you can contribute to the concerns and what is fueling this rise of anti-Semitism and pro-Palestinian movement right now? Uh, well, look, all, all the Islamists need is a reason. That's exactly why Hamas called it the Al-Aqsa, uh, the flood of Al-Aqsa. Uh, they invoke the name of Al-Aqsa in the operation, knowing that they are fighting a holy war. And all they had to do is add the Al-Aqsa name to the operation. And every single Muslim throughout the world is going to side with them because it's an Al-Aqsa flood. It is an Al-Aqsa operation. Uh, but the Israeli military was notified. They had the chief of the military was notified again and again and again of Hamas's plan. They had the blueprint. They knew exactly what Hamas wanted to do, but they did not believe. He did not believe that Hamas can pull it off. And so there was this um, decade within the Israeli uh, military leadership that underestimated Hamas and discounted any intelligence that came to them about Hamas's operation. And it came to bite them at the end, to bite them back in the back. Because Hamas was able to pull the operation exactly the way they planned it, exactly as it was detailed to the Israeli military services, and the Israeli military services has ignored it to the point where they even reprimanded and told the ladies uh, who were watching as the Gaza Southern Command, who were reporting on the Hamas's movement, who were witnessing the, even the practices of Hamas for the last six months and notifying their superiors. Finally, their superiors told them to basically shut up and don't say one more word about it. They shut them down. And sadly, that that whole unit, which was made of the majority of females sitting at the Gaza command to monitor the situation at the southern border, these are the girls who were almost all completely dead, uh, brutally raped and massacred. Yeah, it's 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 beyond words, you know, when we consider this and, you know, for people around the world, I keep saying it is absolutely critical that we support Israel. Uh, there were so many things. Iran has been funding this. We know that Biden has been funding Iran. Uh, there's high suspicions of Netanyahu because of that. But unless you know the facts, unless you know the truth of what is going on, uh, you need to understand and even take into what you do know. If you take a look at Islam, when I say that 95% of the Middle East used to be Christian, and now it's less than 6%. If you know that Jerusalem, uh, the birth of Jesus, the place of the birth of Jesus, this is a good Christian uh, nation. This has been overrun with Islamists. I think there's less than 3% Christians. If you can't take the warning that the enemy that we are up against is very serious um, about luring you into their snare, through your emotions, through what you think that you see and understand, then our nation has no hope. You have to go beyond. Uh, Bridget had said earlier, there's 50,000, you know, reports and pages on ISIS. One of my, this, this has been one of the most difficult reports that I've ever written in all my years of preparing for a guest, because the information is so broad. And it is so available, and there is so much that is shocking 
that it will transform and change you if you even dig into a fraction of it. All of your opinion about the war that is going on in Israel right now against Hamas will change when you understand the bigger goal and who is behind Hamas, who they are working with. And let me tell you, you know it's not for the Palestinian people. And if they, five times since World War II, they've been offered a two-state solution. They were Israel handed Gaza over to them. And it was a, they left them with an infrastructure. It had a thriving economy and they destroyed it because they have no interest in building life, in, in building a, a, a nation that would be beneficial to their people. They are focused on destruction. They are focused on ruling the world and they are focused on their three, um, sacred books, the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sirah, and the over percentage of uh, 50% of each of those books talks about how they should deal with us, that it is okay to lie, that it is uh, their, their goal is to have us submit to Islam, that their goal is to subjugate and depending on uh, the the commitment of the Muslim to these three sacred books, their goal is to kill all infidels. And if we don't let these words settle and sink in, we do not understand our global enemy who is on our soil. And this is something that we need to deal with and address. I mean, look what's happening in Europe. Look what's happening in Europe right now. Uh, Europe is really dying right before our eyes. And if you want to understand about what's happening to Christians all throughout the world in the Middle East, look what's happening to the Armenians right now in Armenia, between Armenia and Azerbaijan. How come people are not demonstrating on the streets what's happening? The massacres right now, massacres against the Armenians by the Azerbaijanis. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody cares as if you're talking about the weather. Everybody's demonstrating in support of a terrorist organization while the Armenians uh, are being massacred by the Azerbaijanis and nobody wants to talk about it. So this is the problem on our side is total ignorance of the rest of the world and not enough people shining a light on what's happening, connecting the dots and what we need to do about it. And I commend you, Tanya, with Action for Canada for what you guys are doing in Canada. Good for you. Um, and again, I encourage people if you are watching us in America right now, go to actforamerica.org and join us. If you are in Canada, a Canadian citizen, and care about making a difference, go to Action for Canada right now. Become involved. That's the only way we're going to make a difference for our nation. A hundred, a hundred percent. It says in the Bible that the truth shall set us free and we can't be afraid of speaking the truth and the facts. And I always say knowledge is power. And when you have it, you got to share it and you got to use it. You got to, you got to put it in motion. You got to mobilize those, those truths and those actions. And, um, you know, something that has rung through my head and we'll wrap it up, uh, uh, Bridget, I'm so appreciative of your time. It's a very important subject, uh, topic to be discussing. When I was listening to your testimony, one of the things that you said was between your between not only your family, but Lebanon was a, a Christian nation. 
And, uh, you know, the radical Islamists came in and uh, they terrorized your nation and they subdued it. And one of the things you kept thinking is soon the Christians will come, like soon America will come, soon uh, Canadians will come and assist us and the Australians. And the issue with Armenia, I was reporting on that in October, and uh, these people are being massacred. And who are they being massacred by? Radical Islamists. And yeah. there's always a common theme, and the common theme is Islam. And yeah. so one of, the, one of your infamous videos is when you were addressing a young Muslim woman, and it was regarding an attack against uh, America and soldiers who had died. And instead of her coming to, you know, this uh, meeting, and as an American citizen, because she professed to be an American citizen, her loyalties were not with America, and that was very evident. And so you talked about uh, the m minority Muslim. Can you explain that to our viewers? The irrelevant majority. Uh, that's what I talked about. Because she right. asked me, uh, that was actually, I was on the board of the Benghazi Accountability Committee, and we were having a panel discussing how come four people have died, including the American ambassador, and not one person in the United States government has been held responsible? Uh, uh, uh. And so we were talking about that. And then this lady asks me a question. She says, well, what about the moderate? You know, you're always talking about Islam. What about the, the majority of Muslims who right. are peaceful? And, and I told her, you're the one who brought up, you know, this issue. We were just talking about how can people die in Benghazi and not... One person in our government is held accountable. And I said, but since you brought it up, it is the majority, uh, it is the minority that creates problems. We go back to 2% of the passionate will always overrule rule, uh, the 98% indifferent. And I said to her, when you look at all the lessons of history, when you look at uh, Germany, not all Germans were Nazis, yet the Nazis drove the agenda. And as a result, 60 million people died worldwide. 14 million in concentration camps, only 6 million were Jews. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at Russia, for example, most Russians were peaceful, yet Russia was able to kill 20 million people. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at Japan, for example, most Japanese were peaceful, yet Japan was able to kill, uh, what was it, 12 million people, uh, mostly killed by bayonets and shovels. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at communist China, the Chinese were able to kill 70 million people. Yet most Chinese were peaceful. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. And I continued saying, when you look at the United States, in America on 9-11, we had 2.3 million Arab Muslims living in the United States on that day. It took only 19 hijackers to bring America down to its knees, uh, destroy the World Trade Center, attack the Pentagon, and, and transform our lives. It took only a minority, 19 radicals. So this is why it's irrelevant for all our lessons of history. And we talk about this history lesson and that history lesson. We need to understand that it is the radical minority that creates problem and creates wars. And that's why we, you know, the majority are irrelevant if they are silent. And that's why uh, we need to stand up. We need to speak up against what's happening. We need to identify our enemy and we need to come together and work together to save our nations. Because if you remain silent, 
in the face of the transformation of our countries, whether Canada or the United States, you are an irrelevant majority. You are part of the irrelevant. You may not, you, you, you know, you may not even exist because you don't matter unless you take action. And that's why I encourage people to become a part of the passionate who are making a difference for Canada and for the United States. Go to our website, actforamerica.org or Action for Canada and take a difference. And make exactly. A difference. And as Bridget said, again, I'm going to emphasize that who you vote for is going to change the future of our country. If you look at the 56 Islamic majority countries, Pakistan, North Korea, or China, um, I do not believe that I would get voted in and have the ability to sit in parliament to represent any community in those countries. Yet America and Canada have opened their doors broadly to have Islamists sitting on seats throughout all levels of government. If you think that's becoming problematic, then your vote comes on the day of an election. Are you aware that the Muslims, with the help of the Trudeau government, put together a, a package on the uh, um, a Muslim get out to vote? And in the um, mosques, you know, they pick their candidates, they promote their candidates, they're financing their candidates, and they're getting them elected into all levels of government in Canada and the United States. If you think that's problematic, then you need to vote wisely. You need to consider running for office and you need to be prepared and educated on the issues so that you can debate anybody under the table. And uh, so on that, I'm going to wrap it up, but I want to, uh, there was a quote from Winston Churchill. He said, if you will not fight for right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory will be sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with all odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may be even a worse fate. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory because it is better to perish than to live as slaves. And so, my friends, uh, we're going to leave it on that note that this needs to motivate you. We are at war. Make no mistake, there is no opportunity for you anymore to put your head in the sand. All right, it's coming at us from multiple angles. And Action for Canada and Act for America are working on behalf of you. But you have a job here and you need to get involved and you need to be mobilized and you need to be active. So, Bridget, close us off with a word, please. Well, I, I, I encourage everybody to become engaged. You know, God doesn't change the world through lightning in the sky. God uses his people as instruments of change. And whether you believe in a higher being or not, every single one of us has a responsibility to make a difference in this world and leave the world a better place than, the, the, than it, when it was when we came into it. We owe that to our children and our grandchildren. So I hope you will learn. Uh, you would have gathered some good information in this show, and I hope that you would join us by going to our websites and become engaged today. Thank you. God bless you. I pray that God will continue to increase your territory. And we uh, look forward to having you on the show again one day. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you very much. Glad being with you.
Wow. Like I say, that was quite an interview. Uh, Bridget is incredibly passionate about what she's doing and uh, you can tell. And over 20 through 20 years of Act for America, they've passed over 200 bills through their legislation. So she is a force in the United States States, and there's much we can uh, learn from Bridget. One of the things we didn't go over over is that uh, Bridget has three books. She's a New York Times bestseller. All of that was on the weekly email that we sent out on uh, the other day on Monday, it will be available in the description as well. Her books are powerful. Uh, they will change your life and um, and very insightful and informative. So, okay, thank you so much. Uh, next week, we have Pastor Arter Pulowski coming on the show. Uh, it's time to shift. We're coming towards Christmas. Uh, yes, there's a lot of heavy things on all of our hearts. Our country is being attacked from multiple different angles, and we're doing our best to bring awareness and uh, to address those. Uh, we can't turn our head away. We we can't just put our head in the sand and pretend this isn't going on. Um, Pastor Arta Pulowski came out of, um, um, as well, out of uh, Marxism, out of communism. He survived that. He came to Canada again, like Bridget, never thought that he would be living through that again. He's on the front line in Canada, you know, as as a warrior. And one of the things that uh, we're going to be discussing next week is, of course, our Christian heritage, why that's important, and to help people further understand that this truly is our battle. This is a spiritual battle of epic proportions. All right, we'll close with the two Bible Bible verses. Exodus 23, 32-33 You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land, because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Deuteronomy 31, 6 Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So commit this time to prayer. Pray that God would restore Canada. Pray that we would be able to unite. Pray that we would be able to get good people into office, that uh, legal actions will be able to proceed and the guilty parties would be uh, held uh, accountable and that there would be justice in our land. All right, so until next time, God bless you and God bless Canada. 